This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Audible. Audible has audiobooks for every passion, and I do mean every passion. Do you like cooking and sexual harassment? Get The Babo Cookbook by Mario Batali, The Babo Cookbook. Love quirky stories and sexual harassment? Get Lake Wobegon Days by Garrison Keeler. Interested in acting and sexual harassment? Well, we got Are You Anybody? A memoir by Jeffrey Tambor. Are you? Me too. The answer is yes. Um, <laughs> legitimately, when I when I was had this idea for this ad, you know, this great bit <laughs> that I'm doing right now, I was looking for a, uh, a Charlie Rose book, uh, but apparently he's never written one. But I was looking for it because I was in an elevator with him maybe a month before that all came out. And my man did not look good. I think he knew. He knew what was coming. Um, but anyway, if you love hearing the books of the bad men, go to Audible. You can start your 30-day trial of Audible by going to boardalkite.com slash audible. And you get two audiobooks to keep whether you sign up or not. That's boardalkite.com slash audible. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support the show is by going to boardwalkaudio.com slash on comedy writing. Click the supporter artist button, shop on Amazon like in Hollywood, and I get a little kickback. Our guest this week is Zach Rice, who's written for The Onion, Hood Adjacent with James Davis, and on the new Netflix show Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj. He's a great guy, really fun to talk to. So here is Zach Rice. Uh, Zach, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, uh, no problem. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, where are you from originally? Uh, I grew up all over. Um, I grew up in five different states. Uh so Did you grew up in the that place where you're in four states at the same time. <laughs> uh, it was two states at once, and then three states at once. That's <laughs> uh, how I did it. Uh, I was born in Seattle, and then I moved to Chicago. Uh, my voice cracked. Uh, then I moved to Austin, Texas, and then Columbus, Ohio, and then San Francisco. Why did you move so much? Because uh, my dad uh, is incompetent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I always like, I think that's funny because like everyone at like companies knows people that get fired. Like my dad is just that guy. Like my dad has been fired so many times. Uh, so that's why we moved. He just got a new job, I think. Um, cause he was fired again. <laughs> um, yeah. So my parents still live in San Francisco, but that's mm. like where I spent the majority of my childhood. Did you like growing up there? Yeah. I love growing up there. Uh, it's a very like interesting place, the Bay area. Uh, very uh, culturally diverse, which was cool, especially moving from Ohio. Uh, so there's a lot of diversity of white people in Ohio. <laughs> uh, but the Bay Area is like, it was really cool growing up there. Yeah, I learned a lot. There's um, there's like, I've only been to San Francisco a couple times, but it is like class warfare on the streets. Yeah, I'm, San Francisco right now is not in a good, a good place. No. Uh, yeah, I mean, my stance is that uh, things are bad. It's how I feel about it. Uh, The homelessness issue is a problem. Big tech is an issue. Uh, You know, I'm no politician. I don't know what I'm talking about. Isn't like Airbnb, right? It's like everyone's Airbnb in their San Francisco homes. Yeah, and they're kicking out just like people that have lived in neighborhoods for a long, long time. Um, So just like, 
yeah, it's like this weird thing now where like San Francisco is just one large Airbnb and there's no like uh, nothing left from like the original culture of the city, which is yeah. very weird. Yeah. America, right? It's it's happening. Dude, it's happening everywhere. America rules, man. <laughs> Love this place. Number one country in the world. <laughs> uh, were you into comedy growing up? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I didn't like get into this or like know that it was possible until like pretty late, like in high school, I'd say. Because uh, growing up, we didn't watch TV, so like I didn't. I never saw The Simpsons. I never saw Seinfeld. Never saw SNL. Um, uh, so yeah, none of the cultural touchdowns that like people like talk about as inspiration. I like really had. Um, it was mainly like when I got to high school, I needed an elective, and the only thing that was available was theater, and I took that, and I was like, oh shit, <laughs> I could do this. Like I like this. It felt like really good. Because um, before that, I felt like I was definitely gonna be like a lawyer or like a businessman. Because uh, my parents are Jewish, so that's what you have to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't get into it really until like high school. And even then I was like, this is fun, but uh, I don't think I could do it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no path. <laughs> what, what kind of theater were you doing? Like, were you acting and stuff? Yeah, uh, really poorly acting, <laughs> really poorly singing. Uh, I was Willard and Footloose. Mm. That was cool. Uh, I ruined the show. Ruined, yeah? Ru- oh my God, yeah. I got fucking just trashed at intermission um <laughs> as like a junior in high school oh, wow. i was like i can do this i can i can perform drunk wow. and then i missed my cue into the second act uh ruined the entire show <laughs> because i just never showed up on stage um it was bad but uh Wow, I would love to go to a high school theater show and see like some guy just drunk <laughs> fucking the whole show up. I, That'd yeah, be so funny. I showed up like 45 minutes late to my queue. There was no one left in the theater. <laughs> uh, my parents were disappointed, but uh, I told them I was sick. Everyone, it it's weird because being sick and being drunk are so different. And like right. when you're uh, in high school, you think that you can get away with saying you're sick. Uh, but everyone knew I was drunk. <laughs> It was real bad. Um, lots of fun, though, you know? <laughs> uh, so, like, were you, so you were, like, super into theater in high school? Kind of. I was, like, I was definitely the kid. I was, like, a sports boy. Uh, like, I played soccer really competitively. Um, and then I would, like, do theater uh, and, like, really upset the, like, other drama kids. Uh, because you were a sports guy? Yeah, because I was a sports guy. And they were, like, the interloper? Yeah, they are like, what are you doing here? Like, you can't be in both <laughs> groups, man. Uh but I was, and then they got even more mad when I ruined shows. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah, because then uh, I didn't know that I was, like, going to do comedy. So I thought I was going to be, like, yeah, serious, like, sports boy, like, maybe playing college. Because um, it was, like, I was a very serious soccer player. And then, uh, and then uh, I tore my ACL, Ooh. and then that changed everything. Um, and I was no longer a serious sports boy. You tore your ACL as Willard in Footloose? Oh, yeah. It was a, it was just a mess on stage. Ambulance came on stage. <laughs> uh, yeah, Willard's a really active role. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, so then I went to film school for a little while. Um, where'd you go to film school at? Uh, to Chapman University. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know Chapman? I know Chapman. Oh, wait, really? Yeah, I, I... This is actually kind of funny. This is a funny story for me. I so Chapman was my number one school. Oh my god! When I was applying, and um, I didn't really know. 
I wanted to do more writing stuff, but I didn't really realize that that was like a different thing. Yeah, oh, definitely. And so, they, like, they do not focus on the writing. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I sent, uh, I didn't know what to send as a video. So I made this like really, I had this like thing I did in high school, like a talent show that was like a, uh, like a fake, um, what's it called? Like, um, Slam poetry, I guess. Oh my god, that was like your slam poet. Well, it was like a making fun okay, of it. Okay. I mean, it was it was mean spirited. Oh, okay. it was like um, <laughs> it was even like black people, white people, people, and then just like People Magazine, the death of print and stuff like that. And I just turned it. Looking, I just turned this into a slideshow. And oh then, my god! And then sent it in in my application, dude. If you did that on stage now in like the New York alt scene, you crush. I know, right? <laughs> uh, and they rejected me. Oh my god, Chapman, those fuckers. Yeah, uh, those assholes. Yeah, Orange County. They, yeah, they did, they just didn't get you, man. Yeah, uh, it's probably for the best. Like, no offense to Chapman, but it's a piece of shit. <laughs> why do you Why do you say that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's more about like. It's like a more philosophical question of like, is film school necessary? Right. <laughs> uh, and as far as, I mean, like Chapman is like definitely beneficial in the fact that like you're near Los Angeles and uh, you have the ability to intern because you have uh, that school on your resume. And so like there is like an internship pipeline that like can help you out. But as far as like the actual things I learned in school, that was zero. I mean, like I had a screenwriting teacher I took one screenwriting class for like three weeks and the professor, I was interning at Comedy Central in LA and the professor asked if I could pass on his spec script to Comedy Central. (laughs) What was it? Was it a spec pilot or a spec? It was a spec pilot. Yeah. And he was like, I think this really fits the tone. This is like a 70 year old white man. He was like, I think it fits the tone of like what they're looking for. And I was like, that's true. (laughs) They're only into what older white people say. (laughs) Um, yeah, it was the pre-Trevor Noah years. But, like, after that, I was, like, pretty disillusioned. I was like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> yeah, that is crazy. Yeah, I was like, D- I can't help you. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, then, but, yeah, it was good because, like, I, I got to intern a bunch. Um, and I would I just spent, like, most of my time in L.A. Where'd you, where'd you intern at? Oh, man. Uh, dude, everywhere. I was, like, so, because once I got to college and was like, all right, I've made the leap to film school. Uh cannot go back to my friends from high school and like say i've failed <laughs> like because <laughs> it's like such an embarrassing move already to say you're gonna do film school <laughs> right, but then right. to fail at film school and like fail in this this industry i just like couldn't look them in the face so especially because i had the opportunity to go to non-film schools and like do like a, like a traditional i guess path um but like actively made the decision not to um so i interned like starting like sophomore year i interned i think what the first internship i had was at fox uh not news uh the (laughs) comedy side of things and from there i interned at like weird places man i interned at uh i interned for dr phil whoa yeah no that that dude's crazy i know so much about him (laughs) i don't know like what kind of things i can say on here but uh he's like yeah he's an interesting dude um i did that for a summer i interned at uh comedy central I interned um, at MTV. I interned at I'm trying to think of other comedy places. I interned. Um, I don't know. I mean, all of it like culminated. Uh, oh, I interned at Conan. That oh was, wow! Yeah, yeah, that was like the coolest one by far. I don't know how I could possibly forget that. That was like super formal. How, yeah, how, how was the Conan one? Oh my god, it was so cool. I mean, he's like my idol for sure. Um, but once again, I didn't get into him until super late, like until college when I 
like went on YouTube and watched all of Late Night. But um, yeah, I mean, my first day there, I mean, he's like notoriously goofy, like even just around the office. Um, and he's like, he'll like fuck with the interns for sure in like a nice way. But uh, like my first day there, I went to the bathroom and the bathroom was like on the second floor, like kind of near his office. Um, and I was like super nervous because this is like my guy. Um, I go to the bathroom and I'm just standing at the urinal and he comes in. And he's huge. I didn't know like how tall he was. And it's like in, in my mind, he's like eight feet tall uh, just because it's coming to Brian. And he like stood next to me at the urinal and he just like starts staring at me uh, like he turns his body like perpendicular to me. So he's just <laughs> looking at me and he's like looking over the stall or over the urinal. And I'm like, what's going on? And then he like reaches his hand out to shake mine. Uh <laughs> And then I, like, lift my hand up to shake his. And then he's like, ew, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, that hand was on your penis. And he's like, fucking interns, man. And then he left. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the funniest, dude. Um, he would, like, come around on Fridays when we weren't taping. And he would, like, work out on the lot um, at Warner Brothers. And he came in one day, like, completely shirtless. I, I was just picturing him, like, in the middle of, like, the Warner Brothers lot, just, like, pumping a <laughs> Yeah, it's like, like, jail yard yeah. weights. Conan O'Brien, he set it up himself. <laughs> there are just, like, other dudes kind of, like, near him in wife beaters. Um, <laughs> he's in a wife beater. Yeah, he came in shirtless and then, like, was going around to all the assistants and, like, pointing at his stomach being like, this body pays your bills. <laughs> it's just, like, the funniest guy. Uh, so much fun. Yes, that was like a few months, um, and then uh, yeah, and then I got super lucky um, and like got hooked up with the guys that wrote the movie Neighbors, and I kind of like worked for them for like six months, um, and that kind of like changed everything because mm-hmm. like it was like my first time getting to like write jokes with people who are like professional joke writers, um, and then they helped me. Uh, write a packet for the onion and then i got that and moved to chicago and stuff so mm-hmm. yeah it was cool <laughs> so uh how do you think you got so many internships uh i mean like this is so lame and gross but like uh tenacity i don't know like oh. you, you just like i got the fox internship and then was like i like have this little foothold um in this world and i don't know anyone i've like I have no connection to comedy or entertainment in general. Um, And so I just like kind of begged the people at the internship to help me get more internships. And like eventually that kind of became a network, I guess. Um, But I was also out like doing like open mics in LA and stuff. And I I tried to just spend as much time as I could in LA. And that's like, that's how I got uh, the neighbors thing is uh, there's a stand up in LA named Andrew Lopez. And he like just saw me out and like knew me from kind of the scene and was just like you should come work for us um because he had been working as like a creative consultant for them or something uh and that's yeah that's kind of how it happened a lot of like linkedin stalking oh really i would stalk the shit out of people on linkedin like i bought linkedin pro so i could like cold call people (laughs) oh wow yeah uh and people are not receptive to that (laughs) they don't like it weirdly uh, when you call them out of the blue begging for a job (laughs) but uh yeah i think that's so what kind of stuff were you doing for the neighbors guys? Uh, that I mean, at first it was just like assistant stuff, you know. Um, like it was in this really cool period where they had already made neighbors. Um, these two writers, Andrew Cohen and Brennan O'Brien, and 
they were like writing neighbors to but neighbors was like a huge success and it cost nothing so they were kind of like this like in vogue right neighbors is a good movie it's a great movie. Yeah. It's so great. I've Und- got, underrated, I think. Underrated for sure. I've got no comment on Neighbors 2. I haven't seen it, so okay. I can have no comment. Yeah, okay, then we could just skip it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was in this cool period where, like, we worked out of... They had, like, an office that was kind of, like, a penthouse situation and just spend, like, a ton of time there um, hanging out. And, like, you know, the people that would come into that office are, like, some of the coolest people ever. And so a lot of it was me just being, like, crazy quiet and listening um and just like taking notes on shit people said and then uh eventually like gaining trust like you'd start pitching jokes and like actually talking when uh people were in the room that were important um yeah so i mean like at first it's like assistant stuff like picking up phones uh which i was horrible at i like was banned from using the phones (laughs) at the office (laughs) because i like dropped a call from like a really important person <laughs> uh those phones are complicated like the rolling calls and stuff dude they had like and it wasn't even like i feel like the new agencies and just offices in general have like pretty good phones and this was like a phone from like the 1920s it was like a phone <laughs> that didn't have like call forwarding features but yet i was like expected to forward calls <laughs> and like every time i picked up the phone i fucked it up um so yeah i don't know it was like yeah a lot of that stuff like picking up coffee and you know, the mm-hmm. usual, like, intern assistant shit. But it turned into, like, this other cool thing. So, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, what, what, was the, what was the cool part of it? <laughs> I mean, the cool part is, like, you know, I got to be there. They wrote the movie The House, the Will Ferrell oh, and yeah. Kohler movie. They wrote Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Uh, another, you know, and that was, like, a super interesting thing because, like, I got to, like, watch them, like, create these scripts mm. and then, like, actually uh, then see the final product and, like, have it be completely unrecognizable from what the script was. Uh, was like super interesting to me because uh, I just realized like how little creative control you have as a writer, especially in film. Like I firmly stand by like the script of the house, the script of Neighbors Two, the script of Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates, and then like when you watch the movie, it's just like a completely different thing. Like mm-hmm. so much gets in the way of it. So many notes and like different people weighing in, and uh, so that was like really interesting to me to like watch these people like who wrote some incredible stuff kind of have it like ripped away from them in a way that was like really sad. <laughs> yeah. It is we- it is weird cuz like uh, I feel like most comedy movies these days are are bad. Mm-hmm. And you can't I, I, I comedy don't, is bad. Comedy is bad. Comedy is bad in general actually, yeah. yeah. Comedy is horrible. We should all leave comedy. <laughs> it's the <laughs> stupidest thing. <laughs> um but yeah, sorry, go on. Where is it? Well, it's just, you know, it's just a, I just it's just just a bummer. There's that the movies are so, suck so much. And yeah. they're not even made. They're not like what six comedy movies a year now. Yeah, and it's weird. It's like a really a toss up because like I really like Blockers. I thought Blockers was great. Do you see it? I thought it was okay. Okay, I, I really liked Game Night. Oh, I haven't seen Game Night. Oh, okay. I heard that's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I feel like there's still like the rare comedy that like translates and is like studio comedies are just so broad and it's like really difficult. Um. To make something that broad good. Mm. But uh, yeah, I think every year there's like one or two that I think are really good. But for the most part, like I don't watch any comedy. Right. Because um, I like have to write all day. Like I don't want to come home and like turn on more comedy. Um, <laughs> it's the worst. So I don't know. Uh, but I love it and I'm passionate about what I do. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have passion for comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can hear the passion coming through in my voice. <laughs> it's all I care about. <laughs> 
Uh, so you, you worked for the Onion. So well, yeah. What, what are your tips? For, I think the fellowship's coming up again. Oh yeah, no, it definitely is. So um, what are your tips for uh, for people who are applying for that now? Oh, the biggest tip is like, I mean, two things. One, uh, you should read the Onion every day um, and just like see what their takes are on the different subjects they're covering. Because the take is pretty much always the same. Like, The Onion is like, uh, uh, wants to fight against climate change. So if you pitch a headline that's like the opposite of that, you, it's just not going to work. Um, so I would say, yeah, like analyze what, uh, or just like analyze The Onion, read The Onion a lot. And then the second thing is that you should match format. Like, if it's pretty clear just even looking at a sheet of paper with the 25 headlines, the fellowships like submit 25 headlines um, and like three three articles, I think. And if you, if you type out an Onion headline from the actual site, or if you typed out 25 headlines from the actual site, and your piece of paper doesn't look similar to that piece of paper, you're probably doing something wrong. Um, because there is like a format that the Onion uses and has used uh, for a century. And like if you if you aren't matching that then you're probably not hitting the voice correctly um so that was the biggest thing it's like i i would see packets or like read packets from people whose headlines were like 25 words mm. and it's like just like look at the website do you see any 25 word headlines <laughs> like there aren't any so i think that's the biggest thing is just like studying and matching format mm. you know um yeah keeping it keeping it clean what, what was it like uh moving to chicago to do the fellowship um, I actually started as, uh, at the apprenticeship. I was like the first group oh, okay. of apprentices at the onion. Uh, me and this dude named Chris Gilman, who is like one of the funniest people ever. And he's a writer for Clickhole now. Um, but yeah, so I moved out, like, it was crazy, man. I was just like a college student who like got drunk a lot and ruined high school productions of <laughs> Footloose. <laughs> Even in college, I would go back, find Footloose productions. Um, and then, like, yeah, I got off the plane in Chicago, had nowhere to stay. I met, I was, like, in line at this, like, bagel shop to get food with my two suitcases. And, like, I met these people in line. And they were like, where are you staying? And I was like, I don't have a place to stay. And I just crashed with them for, like, three weeks, these strangers. <laughs> um, which could have gone super poorly, but it worked out. And I'm alive and not murdered. And then, like, yeah, you, I walked into The Onion, like, a place that I, like, worshipped for a long time um and thought was kind of like untouchable you know like I didn't think that I could write there and then I walked in and there was like no hand holding it's like you they're like here like 25 headlines are due at 10 a.m uh and I was like oh shit like you want me to write like I actually have to do this (laughs) uh like because like I felt like part of the achievement was even getting there but then you actually have to like do the work every day and it's like insanely difficult I was like not prepared academically or intellectually um, it's like very serious and I didn't realize that I thought I was going to be a lot of like goofing around, uh, and there's no goofing around. <laughs> it's like a pretty serious workspace. Um, yeah, like I remember my first day I like when I'm nervous, I sweat a lot and I knew I was going to be nervous all day. So I wore like four different shirts cause I was like, nothing is like, I'm going to sweat through all these. Uh, and like before the first headline meeting was done, I had like drenched all four shirts in sweat. And then like the editor in chief was like, Hey man, do you want me to turn on the like AC? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, I am never showing my face here again. (laughs) Um, but yeah, no, I learned like so much working there. How how would you keep up with like the demand to have like 25 headlines by 10 AM? 
I mean, at first it's like, at first I was like killing myself over it. You know, the schedule when I started there, cause yeah, so I did the apprenticeship and then the fellowship and then I was a writer at large and you know, the demand is basically like three days a week. You're turning in like timely headlines. Um, it's like whatever, like the news cycle is talking about that day. Um, and then on, in the middle of the week, you're turning in evergreen headlines and that could be like, you know, you could turn in anywhere from like 25 to 50 headlines. Um, plus you're writing, you know, full drafts of headlines. Uh, plus I would do like the sports headlines stuff too, which is like a smaller group of writers. Um, so like all said, you're probably writing like 250, 300 headlines a week plus drafts. And at first I just stayed up all night all the time. And was like, because I was like, I can't, like, fuck this up. Um, and then eventually you just get, like, used to the workflow. Um, and, like, I could start sleeping again. But, uh, yeah, for a while it was really, really difficult. <laughs> like, it's just, it's it's a hard thing uh, to master. And by no means did I master it. <laughs> like, I was fine at the Onion. Uh, it was not where I was meant to be, for sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. What was like your uh, your process for trying to generate uh, ideas for headlines? Um, what's a weird phenomenon that happens when you work there is that all of your thoughts start to get filtered into the onion voice. <laughs> uh, like any observation I would make just in the world, I was like, "How is this a headline?" Um, even things that were nothing, like I would look at this refrigerator. Uh, there's a refrigerator in this room <laughs> where we're talking, uh, and be like. You know, I'd be, I'd be like, white refrigerator, like, what's that <laughs> in a headline? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, just like, you'd try and make, like, even things that were not jokes, everything became filtered through that voice. Um, and it was strange. I would, like, have dreams about Onion headlines. And, like, even now, I still, like, if I'm writing a joke at, like, Patriot Act, like, I will still, like, filter the observation through the Onion voice to see if I can, like, distill it down to... Um, sort of like the core components of a joke. Mm. Um, it's like a really good way to do that, to like find what is funny about something. Um, but it, yeah, it haunts me to this day. Like my brain <laughs> is permanently like fucked up because of it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. It was just like a lot of stimulus. Like you'd try and get out and just like walk around and observe mm-hmm. shit. But yeah. What are the hallmarks of like a good Onion headline to you? Ooh. Um, I'm trying to think of like headlines that I like the most. Uh, I mean... This word gets like thrown around a lot. I feel like in comedy writers' rooms, but like I like the the really like clean headlines. There'd be like, you know, it's always like the goal or the dream to get a headline on that was just two words, sort of like elusive to get a two word <laughs> headline. Like I think about there's like that headline from a while ago. I don't know who wrote it, but it's like uh, uh, kid humongous, and it's just like <laughs> or like kid enormous or something like that. And it's just uh, it's so funny. Like we've all seen that kid that's just like just ridiculously big for his age and it's so funny and so simple um or headlines that uh i liked headlines that uh juxtapose like something mundane with like really heightened language like i think uh there's a headline about like a laptop keyboard that's like top row of keyboard a veritable who's who of special <laughs> punctuation letters and i think that's just like funny that's it's yeah. uh I, I love that juxtaposition so things like that are good mm-hmm. um that play with language specifically, um, as opposed to just like, like I was never super into like the real dry satirical stuff. I liked the silly version of the onion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I was there, it was definitely going through a period cause I was there during the 2016 election cycle. Um, and that was just like super intense. And I think it was not 
or I don't know if that was what it's like working at the onion before or now. Um, it was just a really, really, uh, distinct time because, well, a, there were like 17 Republican candidates running. So you're sitting in these meetings trying to figure out like, what is like the core attribute of these people that we can like turn into characters or like, do they have core attributes? How long will they even be in the news cycle? And you're spending a lot of time brainstorming for people that ended up becoming irrelevant. Like if you look at onion headlines from that time, they like don't really make sense anymore. Because you don't even remember who or like why that joke would work. Um, things were just happening really quickly. And then it was also like trying to figure out like what to do with uh, Trump. And I remember like just so many meetings about that, like trying to figure out like what is he, who do, like how do we like satirize him? Um, can he be heightened? Like in what element of him do we heighten? Uh, and so, yeah, it was just a really strange time to be there, I think. Did you guys ever think you like came close to something there? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know if like that's like like personally, I don't think so. Uh, I don't not to that's not like a me disparaging us. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just like we threw a bunch of shit at the wall to try and uh, like talk about him, and the reality is like. There is no satirical point you can make about him that is truly going to like undercut what he's doing, because um, it's like pretty, it's like pretty on the note. Like he he is insane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like really hard to like capture that into like eight words. Um, I remember we would try like heightening, uh, you know, sort of like okay, he's like evil in some small way. Like, let's try heightening that aspect of it. Like his relationship with Melania, let's try heightening that aspect of it. Uh, how physically large he is. He's like 6'4 in like 270 pounds. Is he 6'4? Dude, he's like a massive I know he's dude. Four, he's just a fucking lumbering oaf just <laughs> stumbling around the White House just in a, a daze all the time. And so like we try and talk about like just how physically large he is. Um, and there's nothing that like truly sums him up. Um so, yeah, I think it was really difficult. I mean, obviously, people are still struggling with that. Uh, I think he's genuinely uninteresting. Um, but unfortunately, he's the president, so we have to talk about him. <laughs> it, it is weird how much, like, I feel like no one's really gotten a good uh, take on Trump yet. Mm. And it's, he's been around for a while now. Yeah, more takes, I feel like, are theories. Like, I feel like you, you see that a lot in comedy. Like, yeah. uh, my theory is that... Uh, you know, if if we just, I think like Armando Iannucci is like do, developing that movie about it. It's like, what if we just put him in like a Truman Show, like fake White House, and told him he was still president, but he wasn't. Like, it's people. You have to do that with him. You have to like posit a new scenario for him to be in, and then comment on that. Hmm. Uh, because the things he's doing on a day to day basis are just like so ghastly and like abhorrent. But there's seemingly no pattern to them. Right. <laughs> like he operates uh, just like. I don't even know if thoughts come into his head or, like, someone talks to him or, like, he sees something happening, but uh, his behavior is, like, completely erratic. So it's, like, hard to really, like, encapsulate what he's doing. Um, and I feel like I'm lucky that I don't... Or not lucky. Uh, people that write on, like, traditional or, like, daily late-night shows have really great jobs. Uh, but I can't imagine trying to keep up with the Trump news cycle. It's, like, it must be exhausting. It's crazy too, because like uh, before Trump, it felt like 
you know, you could do comedy about different things on those shows. Yeah. And now it's like, it's all Trump. You have no, to it's like, totally. It's like, it's, it's mad homogenous. And, but I also, it's like, it has to be talked about. Supposed to, yeah. Yeah. And it's it, like, it has to be talked about. And I don't know how much, like, I don't know how much airtime, like, you should give him or, like, people in his administration, but it is important. Like, he is the president of the United States. I say that, and it still makes me smile because it's so insane. <laughs> it's still so insane two years later. Um, yeah, I am I feel like what we're doing, like, on Patriot Act is, like, actually, like, pretty refreshing as a writer because we just don't talk about him at all. Um and that is like so nice. Like I don't even need. I don't really check the news during the day because like we're talking about things that are kind of more evergreen. Um, and that's like really nice because I feel like the news cycle is like destroyed my mental health. <laughs> it's horrible. Like my friend, uh, one of my closest friends, is still a writer at the Onion, and he's just like sad all the time because like to follow it so in depth is like crushing. Right. Um, but important mm-hmm. for us to all be educated. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, were you were you at the Onion on like election day? Um, no, I wasn't. I had like, or no, I was there on election day, mm-hmm. or was I there on election day? I gotta think. What's the timeline? Okay, <laughs> uh, I should have November eighth, twenty sixteen. Where were you that day? <laughs> Fuck. Uh, I'm like furiously coming with an alibi. Uh, uh, fuck, what was I doing in November? Oh, I was in LA at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was writing on a Comedy Central show at that point. But, um, I remember though, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, whatever, who fucking cares? But like the, you know, when, when you're writing there, you write headlines for like all the outcomes. Oh, right. Um, and so there is like this incredible onion issue that would have come out if Hillary won. And it's like these, some of those headlines were so good. Um, and like no one will ever see them. And that like makes me really sad. But I mean, I remember I worked on this show called Hood Adjacent with James Davis. And uh, it was like a predominantly black writer's room, um, basically, except for me and the head writer, Sean O'Connor. And I came into work that day and it was like, I've never seen a room like that it was like people were like inconsolable it was like a truly depressing day in comedy writers rooms um yeah that dude is bad (laughs) i think donald trump is bad (laughs) um so leaving trump yeah uh, oh thank god (laughs) you did you also like contribute for clickle during your time there um I feel like I submitted uh, probably like 20 Clickle headlines and not a single one got on. <laughs> uh, Clickle, I think, is the funniest thing on the internet, like by far. It's incredible, and those writers deserve uh, they deserve everything. I think they should have their own TV show. I think they should be famous because um, I think that group of people is like so brilliant. Um, but yeah, that I'm like envious of those people's brains. Uh, I don't think my mind works in like Clickle voice very mm. well. Because I think to, like, the layman, clickhole, like, seems like Mad Libs a lot of the time, but it's not. It's, like, it's really, really, like, carefully created, and the voice is, like, so specific. Um, yeah, I, I really love that website and wish it got just, like, more publicity, you mm-hmm. know? Um, the Onion's in a weird place, though. I don't know, like... Yeah, they're both in a... They're both in, like, a tough spot. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, it... it I mean, the digital media landscape is dying, so right. I don't know, like, what's going to happen, but, I mean, 
I hope they both stick around. <laughs> like they shouldn't have changed their uh, layouts. Oh yeah, that's been the, that was the biggest bummer for the consumer. No, totally. Um, yeah, they just look like what, like Gawker or whatever. They have the same. Oh yeah, one. it's like it, it's all Kinja. Is yeah, it's Kinja. Called? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, I mean, I think that move is sort of like that will be an inflection point uh, for the demise of those websites. Because <laughs> like Kinja sucks so fucking bad, yeah. and like the the entire point of the Onion's layout is that it's like, like satirizing right the New York Times front yeah. page, and to have it be Kinja, kind of like. It like lessens the punch of the website, so um, yeah, I am fortunate that I got to like do TV stuff um, and like move from Chicago. But mm-hmm. uh, those people are the best. The best. What's your favorite headline from your time at the Onion uh, that I wrote, or other people wrote? I guess I guess either. <laughs> um, my favorites would not be mine. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of. The stuff that made me laugh the hardest, like, never got on the site. It was always, like, <laughs> uh, the headlines that were, that couldn't go on the website that were the funniest. Um, trying to think. Oh, yeah, uh, like, that, that dude, Chris, who writes at ClickHole, he, during the Republican National Convention, or before that, like, during the debates and stuff, he, you know, we're trying to find characters for all of these horrible Republican politicians and he started because you submit the headlines anonymously so he like started submitting headlines uh about Jeb Bush where Jeb Bush was like a Rastafarian and like these headlines were like incomprehensible (laughs) uh like Jeb Bush talking about like Bumbaclot and like uh just like speaking just like really weird uh in this like really really strange rhetoric uh, and no one at the Onion understood what was happening because, like, no one knew who was pitching the headlines. <laughs> um, and those were some of like the funniest meetings. I used to pitch like a ton of headlines about Emerald Lagasse, and because I think he's the funniest person. Uh, and like at one point, at one point, everyone figured out that it was like me doing it. But like, I would just pitch like I pitched an op-ed that was just. Uh, Bam by Emeril Lagasse and it was just like 800 words of him saying Bam and people were furious uh, <laughs> rightfully so but yeah it was always that stuff that like made me laugh the hardest um, I don't know if there's like one specific headline that sticks out the most fun I had writing a headline was um, I wrote this headline or I wrote like an op-ed piece about a, it was like it's about like a polling station worker at like in just like some suburban voting block um, and it was like, uh, like within the walls of this community gym, I am God. And it's just, it was like so fun. It was like writing this language about like this, like 75 year old woman, like being like the almighty, uh, within the walls of this like small little gym, uh, like she hold holds your vote in her hands. Uh, and that was super fun to write. Once again, it like goes back to like the language. Like mm-hmm. anytime it was a headline that involved like, cause the headline dictates the way the article is going to be written. Um, and so yeah if the language within the headline itself was like colorful and really fun or like genre based like those were always the best things Mm -hmm. to write because you got to like really go deep um and writing just weird shit and so uh you mentioned you left the onion how'd you get involved uh was it hood adjacent yeah yeah well yeah first i like uh i'd written a headline that uh got uh, picked up by the fat jew um, oh wow yeah no the, the ultimate compliment yeah seriously i was like uh <laughs> uh really really bad people on instagram love this headline but he like cut out 
the onion. The onion. <laughs> oh my god! And just like left it. That's uh, so brazen to do that. Like, no, it's one no, thing seriously. to steal from a person, but then to cut out the onion. The institution. The, yeah. yeah, seriously, it's it's insane. But man, uh, the hubris of that man uh, <laughs> knows no bounds. But what was the headline? Do you remember the headline? Uh, it was yeah. It was like. Um, it was like Budweiser unveils new social anxiety bottle with 900% more label to pick at. <laughs> and it was just this like Budweiser bottle, like with right. just mounds of label. Um, and yeah, so he stole that. And then like uh, from that, I kind of like got agents. Uh, like people wanted to know <laughs> wow. like, who wrote it. Yeah. And then like uh, from there, I started like writing packets at night and stuff. So you got an agent from the fat Jew stealing your. Yeah, no, the headline. fat Jew made me. <laughs> wow that is he crazy me. yeah he's uh my, he's now my manager yeah you owe, you owe everything to the fat Jew. yeah no seriously uh that that is crazy is he a listener <laughs> i hope so this? yeah he's probably waiting to hear jokes to yeah, write yeah, down yeah. <laughs> wow i hope they talk about memes on this show that i can use <laughs> uh, wow that's crazy yeah it's crazy uh i mean it helped that i also like new people in la mm-hmm. so like i think it was more of a thing that people i knew who worked at agencies uh like sent that to like their bosses or whatever. Um, and yes, yeah, so then I had like, I had like representation in Chicago and then uh, started submitting packets. And then I got uh, like jokes bought by Billy on the street. And then that sort of like was like, once again, like that's like another foothold. And it was like, okay, I can write like uh, that. I'm like a consultant at Billy on the street. And they like bought like five of my jokes. And then, yeah, then from that, I like, submitted a packet to hood adjacent and then got that somehow um and then yeah then i was in la how do you approach uh, writing packets generally Ooh, that's a good question i mean like i think it goes back to the onion thing too which is like if you're gonna write an onion packet you should match the format of the onion and it's like whether it was submitting like a packet to patriot act or to hood adjacent it's like, I just, like, watched a bunch of uh, clips of the host of Hood Adjacent, James Davis, and was like, okay, this is kind of the stuff that he's interested in talking about, and, like, this is, like, the like the take he would have on a news story, um, and then, like, would write the packet based off that. Because, like, obviously, I had no business being on that show. <laughs> um, like, it makes, to this day, it makes no sense, like... Uh, everyone in the room used to say like I was like the minority in the room because it was like uh, that room it was so fascinating like I once again was just like quiet a lot of the time because like I would never try and like insert my opinion uh, into James's mouth because his experience in life is just like vastly different than mine Um, so that was like a really yeah that was like a really interesting experience um even with like the other writers, I remember like there was like a oh, man. I don't know. There there were so many moments in that room where people were like arguing about jokes, and like I didn't even know what the joke was about um, <laughs> because it was just something that wasn't that I didn't grow up with. Like whether we were talking about like the gang violence or uh, like really specific like Compton references, like I couldn't keep up with that. So it was like a lot of like being quiet. Um, which is good. Like, I learned a ton. But yeah, like, for Patriot Act, the packet was... I don't know. I mean, I think you... Once again, it's like I watched Homecoming King, which is like Hassan's Netflix special, and then was kind of like, okay, uh, this is, like, the stuff that he's interested in talking about, whether it's, like, his family, specifically Indian culture at large, um, like, outsiderdom, 
and I, once again, I was, like, lucky enough to grow up in the Bay Area, so, like, I know a lot of, like, his references culturally, just because he's from Davis, California, which is, like, 45 minutes from where I grew up, and so, yeah, like, inserting that kind of stuff into the packet, like, really helps, Mm -hmm. but then also it's, like, with packets, like, it's just, like, less words, the better. Um, Mm. You want to make the reading experience easy for the people who are reading it. Um, So, yeah, like, that even goes to, like, font and, like, just, like making sentences that like can be understood right right. um like your jokes shouldn't be convoluted they should just be like tight and nice and clean what what font do you use times new roman calibri oh yeah i'm a time times new roman head yeah uh that's my shit man um i think actually we use it like Arial. oh yeah it's weird interesting because it's like i think i mean we work mainly off like google docs so, oh right, so yeah, it's like, like yeah. the default. Yeah, and Times New Roman's a little stuffy. Times New Roman is like pretentious. It's like the Ivy League student of right. fonts. Yeah, it's like so a, perfect for comedy writing. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, fuck that. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned already, but that you know the show is uh, about you know James's experiences as a black man, yeah. the predominantly black staff. How do you contribute as a as a white guy? Do you like get your yeah? How do you contribute to that room? Um, that's a good question. Um. You know, because, like, I'm not trying, or I would never pitch stuff from the perspective of, like, a black man, because I'm not, and not only would that be insincere, but it would be, like, disrespectful, I think, and so I would either, like, partner up with another writer, and the sketch or take would be about um, differing opinions, and or, like, different experiences, like, I, I I wrote a sketch on the show about because this was during a time in which, like, a lot of, uh, like, uh, African-Americans were getting, like, pulled over by cops for no reason, and this would, like, inevitably lead to uh, some horrible fucking thing where a cop brutalized a person. And um, so it was, like, instead of me directly talking about that, it would be, like, me trying to, like, be, like, how could we make a car safer for a black person? As opposed to being like, I am black so, and yeah. like, uh, I want to do something about police officers. So like, I would try and come like at issues from like a more tangential angle. Um, so that once again, it didn't have to be me like writing as James. Cause I don't think I should do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. It seems like it gets kind of like a tricky spot for you because like you want to write in the voice of the show. Yeah, definitely. But then it's almost like you said, it's almost disrespectful to like pretend that Oh, it's definitely disrespectful, and it's also, like, it, it's a fine line to walk because, uh, yeah, you, like, even, like, the way that he would tell a joke is different than the way that I would write a joke, and, um, but he's also, like, a super smart dude and was, like, aware of that and would, like, finesse language into the way that he, like, likes to say shit, um, and so, like, it wasn't, I was never, like, put down, I don't know, he never made me feel, like, weird about the right. cultural differences, yeah, mm-hmm. so, it it was cool, and, like, I don't know, I mean, like, uh, the head writer of the show was white, and, um, so, I, I, it, I don't want to make it seem like it was yeah, yeah, so yeah. crazy and foreign, but, uh, <laughs> it was, like, yeah, once again, it was, like, every day, like, trying to decide, uh, when to speak up was, like, uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was like a case by case thing. Uh, and you you got involved with the hilarity for charity, right? Yeah, yeah. So then, yeah, I wrote on 
Yeah, Seth's Netflix special. That's the coolest thing I've ever done by far. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. I, I'm like smiling so big right now just thinking <laughs> about it. Uh, yeah. Because so Sean, uh, he's like my guardian angel in comedy. Um, he was the head writer of that too, and then he like brought me on, and it was like super small room. It was just me, Sean, um, and this comic who is amazing. Everyone knows she's amazing, Beth Stelling, mm. and so it was like the three of us and Seth just kind of hanging out for a month. Um, well, that is a very small room. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, writing basically everything. Like, it was, uh, yeah, it was such an interesting experience. Like, he, you know, Superbad came out when I was 12 um, or 13. And it's like, it was, this is embarrassing, but it was like so formative to see people in a movie talk the way that I talked with my friends at that time. And, you know, I, then I like, was sitting next to him every day and he like we talked about super bad and he like i got to like hear a bunch of shit i met the real life fogel which was cool um and i mean the most bizarre thing is that like i was 24 when i wrote on that and he was 24 when he made super bad and i was like oh shit like <laughs> uh, i should be doing more <laughs> with my life <laughs> um it's really impressive and yeah he's like the coolest person i don't know uh what else uh, is interesting to talk about in terms of polarity <laughs> for charity, except that he's really cool. <laughs> but you were writing like a lot of like sketches and yeah, we got to write, like I got to write a sketch like for Sasha Baron Cohen, which is amazing. Did you have to like pitch celebrities on the sketches? Um, the only celebrity that I think we, cause like Seth and Sasha are friends. So I think like a lot of that writing ended up being them too. Um, mm-hmm. like Sasha was never in the room writing with us, but the one celebrity we did have to like pitch uh, like pretty hard was James Corden, um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the bit ended up getting cut from the show entirely, which is so funny because um, it took like weeks to get him to agree. Because <laughs> um, Sean was like a former Corden writer, and but yeah, he had like a he was great. He's so funny, like he's like ri- like ridiculously sharp. Uh, and I was not expecting that to be honest. Um, but yeah, he, he would like rewrite with us like over the phone and stuff and he had a ton of notes and then it was really sad cause it ended up getting cut, but like, I thought the bit was like pretty funny. Um, yes, yeah, so that was the only one that we like had to specifically pitch. I think, um, I'm trying to think of what other things we did on it. Other than that, I think it was just mostly Seth, like just like, oh, I mean, what's weird and what's aged really poorly is that like, uh, I pitched, something that's in the show which that like halfway through the show it cuts to like an after show hosted by chris hardwick um and like we didn't know at the time well, uh, of course yeah yeah and so yeah we did it only after we know <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but yeah so that's like a really weird thing i like now i feel bad because i pitched it um and like i don't want people to look back at that show and be like pissed uh, so to everyone, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> um, yeah, that aged poorly, really poorly. <laughs> did, did you have any like sort of um, confinements for because it was like a charity show? Like you couldn't say this, or you couldn't. Do that? No, it was probably the opposite. Yeah. Like he, Seth was like the coolest thing about him is that, or one of the cool things about him. This just turns into a Seth Rogen podcast. The coolest <laughs> like, thing about him is that he smokes weed. Dude, <laughs> brother loves the gun. Uh, he does enjoy marijuana. I would say <laughs> that is a fact. <laughs> um, 
we got to do like anything we wanted. Um, and he was down to do like weirder shit. Like, you know, I feel like traditionally at like one of those kind of charity events, you would write like intro jokes for different comics. Cause like a bunch of comics performed on the show. And, uh, I forget who pitched it. I think like Nate Fernald, who's also really funny, pitched something where like for every comic, these are like the biggest comics, like Michael Che, John Mulaney, um, Sarah Silverman, T- Tiffany Haddish performed on the show. And, like, for all of them, Seth introduced them by saying, uh, this next comic plays clubs and colleges all across the country. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for all of them. <laughs> uh, and That's so funny. all five of them were, like, com- like so confused, um, <laughs> as was the crowd. <laughs> yeah, that is funny, because, like... I wonder who's actually like getting that joke and like laughing. It's like probably a very small amount. It was of a people. very small subsect of the crowd, just because the crowd was all people that contributed a, like a fuck ton of money to the charity. So <laughs> right. it was like a very like uppity, like stuffy room. And then we're out there like doing a bunch of like dick jokes, uh, which was really weird. Like the room was very weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought all the stuff was really funny, but then like you know, even like once again, like these standups who were amazing, like weren't having great sets because the crowd just like wasn't into it they were all like talking amongst themselves right. about like rich people shit i don't know <laughs> i don't know what are rich people talk about <laughs> caviar <laughs> but yeah so i don't know it was like definitely it was so much fun though mm-hmm. and like we got to like sit in the edit bay with seth afterwards and like you know go through and like edit with him it was just like a really collaborative cool experience yeah. um and so now you're working at a patriot act yeah 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 how did that start um that was like uh let's see so i think in april of this year it's like right after uh hilarity for charity was done um i saw or like i I knew that uh hassan like got a show uh because it was like on it was in the trade it was in deadline it was in (laughs) deadline nikki fink nikki fink broke the story (laughs) (laughs) um shouts out to nikki fink (laughs) i think she got fired from there oh did she oh no what happened I don't know. I, that's all I know is I think she's not no longer there. All right, pause this podcast. We're fucking planning out. Um, Nikki Fink is more important than whatever I'm saying. Uh, you should have Nikki Fink on. Oh, I wish. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I saw that, and then um, I, like, just asked my reps if that was, like, a thing I could do. And uh, they, like, the showrunner... Uh, is someone he worked on Hood Adjacent. Um, but it was like a blind packet, so it was still like pretty nerve wracking. Um, and yeah, so I sent in a packet, and that was in like June of this year, like early June. Um, and then I, I like started working on another job because I didn't, I, I interviewed, or I found out that I got an interview in like late June, interviewed like the first week of July on Skype. Uh, which was the, it's the worst interview I've ever had in my entire life. Oh, really? Yeah. Cause like, oh my God, it was so fucked up. Uh, Skype interviews are always bad. Yeah. Uh, but this one was incredibly bad because they didn't turn on their camera. Yeah. So I was like, it was me and, but I was like so nervous and like, I wasn't sure if they were doing it intentionally to like be intimidating or something, which now seems insane. Like an insane thing to say, cause obviously they weren't going to they didn't mean to do it on purpose. Uh, but basically it was just me like interviewing to myself. Like I could just see me and not them. Um, I had no idea how many people were in the room. Like I had no idea like whose voices belonged to who. So I just didn't address anyone by name. And just like, they, they said now, like I've talked to Hassan about it and he said, uh, 
they were they thought that I was like blind because <laughs> because you're like, looking straight ahead. Well, because I I like I was trying to avoid looking at my own face. So like apparently I was just kind of like looking off around the room, <laughs> just kind of like right past camera, uh, like with like this kind of like dead glazed look in my eye. And he was like, "Yeah, we weren't sure if you were blind uh, for a long time." Um, and that yeah, they like introduced the writer's assistant to me like in the interview and I had no idea that she was apparently there the whole time and like I had no idea and I was just like yeah it's nice to meet you and then she said something like I've been here and I was like haha because <laughs> like I didn't I was like of course you have <laughs> um yeah then so then that was like early July and then I had like interviewed for a couple other jobs too and like I just thought that I didn't get Patriot Act because I didn't hear anything until like the middle of August, so like a wow, month and a, a half. Long time. Yeah, and like I knew other writers had started on the show. Um, like a group of writers started like two or three weeks before I did, and they added like four people and then another four people. Um, but yes, yeah, so then I found out uh, in like the middle of August that they were like moved to New York, and I was like, okay. And then uh, I was like, <laughs> how how soon should I do that? And then I moved out like September 1st and then started September 4th. Um, and that, yeah, it's been so cool. It's like, I, I really think it's uh, the the reason that I did the packet. Because like, like we or I was saying earlier, it's like I think Late Night is like pretty homogenous right now. And it's definitely oversaturated. Um, but when I watched the proof of concept for the show, because like Hassan, in order to sell the show, basically just self-produced a pilot. And it's it's like fucking incredible. And I watched it and was like, this is like actually different and it comes at things from a different perspective. And like, uh, it's like definitely, uh, unique. And I thought that was really cool. So I'm, I was like really stoked to get the chance to work on it. And you were hired, uh, before the show started. Yeah. Uh, so like, what are you doing in like the weeks or months before that to like get the show ready? Yeah. I mean like it, it's, it's a really interesting experience, like starting a TV show. Uh, because a lot of the conversation early on was, like, surrounding what is the tone. Um, and, like, that's the most exciting thing as a writer, is to, like, be a part of shaping what the show will eventually become. And, like, obviously, we're still, like, finding our footing and trying to figure out, like, what the voice specifically is. Like, But I think each week we get better. But, like, in those early days, it was a lot of, like, throwing shit around, um writing sample scripts to see like what works um and i mean the the way that the show is set up is like it's it's set up like uh like journalism um which is so it's good that i had like worked at the onion because the process is more like there are like 20 researchers or like 22 researchers like the smartest people alive like people that worked on like the Obama, the original Obama campaign, and like they were like oppo researchers for Hillary, and like I, like the former editor of the New York Times, just like geniuses, and I'm so stupid, and like <laughs> just like crushingly stupid, and so like they'll pitch news stories, um, and then it's like up to like the team of like eight comedy writers to like find an angle that is comedic within like really serious subject matter. Um, but like also, you know, trying not to do a disservice to like the amount of research and like, uh, effort that they're putting into like the books that we get that are just like these immaculate, uh, pieces of research. Like you'll get like a 300 page research book and be like, 
I have to like turn this into like a 20 minute script. Like things are going to get cut, which is so sad because they find the most incredible stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, the, the workflow, it definitely starts with like, uh, the journalists and then, uh, once something is picked or like Hassan likes something or the showrunner Jim likes something or the head writer likes something, um, then like a writer gets assigned and you're like sent off to write, just write, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which is, it's like an, it's like a less collaborative process than I'm used to, but, uh, I think it, I think it's like turned out pretty well. Is that like fucked up to say? No, no. <laughs> do no. you like it? Do you like the show? I do like the show. <laughs> okay. And, uh, yeah, I don't like a lot of late night shows too. So oh, cool. I liked the, I liked the Michelle Wolf show. Yeah. That was yeah. a really good show. But. Yeah. I, I, man, I love, uh, I love the sketches in the Michelle Wolf show. Like the, the Amazon Alexa the Amazon, sketch yeah, yeah, it's one of my meat. favorites. Yeah, it is. I, I will say that that is like a, that's like pandering because I am friends with Brendan who wrote that. Oh, right. Yeah. Hair. But like, I thought that was so funny and I wish that we could see more of that kind of stuff in late night. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish they had given her longer because she's so funny. Yeah, it's weird. It was weird that they did that. Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of things go into it. I mean, obviously I'm not a Netflix executive, but we try to do things like, or like release the show differently than they did, which is like, mm. they released a lot of their like online stuff on the Netflix official account. And there are a lot of like trolls who like go through that looking for like anything that's liberal leaning and we'll oh. just like downvote it to shit. So like all their videos are just like, that are so good. Like so funny just have like 20 likes and like 8,000 dislikes because it's just like fucking assholes who like hated her from the correspondence dinner, just like trolling them. Uh, so we like tried, we like launched our own YouTube channel from nothing, uh, in an attempt to like cultivate a new audience. Um, or one that actually like wanted to seek out the show. And I think that's been like really beneficial. Is there like a difference in the way you like guys write stuff knowing that it's on Netflix and not on like a network? Definitely. Yeah. I think, um, or, I mean, there are a lot of jokes that we've like tried to make about Netflix. Uh, and like, <laughs> it's weird what things they will veto, but, um, I mean, this one of the writers don't bring up Spacey. We, that's the thing. One of, <laughs> one of the writers, one of the writers, like pitched a joke that I think is so funny. This dude named Moss, he's so funny, Moss Paracone, and he pitched a joke that was like, "Welcome to Patriot Act, uh, the show whose budget is what's left over from Kevin Spacey, <laughs> <laughs> or like something like that." And Netflix execs were like, "You can't, we're in, you can't say that." <laughs> um, but yeah, it's you know we uh, like we made that like bodyguard joke that like mm. CNN picked up and stuff about like how that show is Islamophobic and uh, Netflix was like fucking furious about that. Mm. Um, or like they kept, it's not that they were furious. They obviously like a, let it go on the show, but uh, I know that there were conversations where they were like, do you need to do that joke? And Hassan was like, yes, we need to do that joke. <laughs> um, but for the most part, I think they're like really cool with whatever we're doing. For these uh, for these comedy pieces, what do you think is like the right blend of uh, information and uh, jokes? That's a good question. I don't. I think it, it's like case specific. You know, we're you know we're working on you know. So the episode that like launched today is about Supreme, uh, which is like the streetwear brand. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and so like for something like that, that's more that's already like a lighter subject than some of the other things that we're covering, whether it's like Saudi Arabia or like there are going to be some like (laughs) honestly like really dark future episodes that we're working on. Um, 
we're just like the the subject matter is really dark and in in the darker episodes i think it's important that we uh are very intentional about when we use jokes um because you want to you want to treat the really serious uh issues with like the gravity that they deserve um and to undercut that with a punchline sometimes feels uh it like cheapens the information that we're giving um like in those pieces i feel like the the difficulty is a lot of times you need to like divert like the 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 pieces are structured like sorry i'm fucking rambling but okay the pieces are structured sort of like uh like argumentative essays like the way that like once again like the process starts with the journalist so like we're initially like crafting arguments like 20 minute long arguments and then trying to back that up with uh research um video footage statistics like studies or experts and once like the argument is created um for those like really serious episodes like you then see places where you could like divert from the argument to like do an aside and like the aside is where you can find comedy because like a lot of times it's like if we're doing something about child separation um or like in john oliver's episode about child separation it's like or family separation you like you need to like posit a new scenario and then make a joke about that and then come back to family separation because there's nothing inherently funny about family separation like it's not something that you should make a joke about yeah uh so it is it's just about like finding the right places but then yeah like i was saying like for the supreme episode it's like already just like a kind of like a more frivolous subject so it it's like more joke heavy mm-hmm. than like the episode uh that we did about like saudi arabia or like the episode that we're doing uh the, the next two episodes we're doing mm-hmm. so and so as a as a comedy as a comedy guy mm-hmm. And uh, a guy who said, uh, you're very dumb, you said that, right? Oh, incredibly stupid. Does, does it kind of frustrate you at times to, like, have to deal with, like, these very heavy topics and have to make jokes about that? Um, yeah, fuck these heavy topics. <laughs> 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 fuck all of them. Uh, no, I, I actually really like it because I think it's, uh, I, I... The, okay, here's the thing is that I go into work every day and like I learn so much. <laughs> like every day I'm just like astonished at like the things that are happening in this world and like I have this inc- basically like the researchers are like my teachers. Like they have taught me so much. They don't know that they're teaching me. Like I just nod my head like I've known the whole time. Um but it doesn't frustrate me. I think it's uh it actually like uh is kind of nice to like dig just super deep into one topic and like try and understand like every intricacy of it, which is impossible, but like you strive to get close. Um, and then, uh, weirdly like the jokes, I think that's like my least favorite part of this writing process. Mm, Like, I think, uh, it's really about like, I like discovering like, you know, a lot of times we're trying to point out like hypocrisy in like, uh, you know, uh, big like systemic issues, um, or like just, like characters within those issues, like point out like a hypocrisy in like Stephen Miller's, uh, you know, like child separation policy or whatever. Like that to me is more interesting. Um, and then the jokes, I think, like, uh, they kind of just like organically come from making a really good point. Um, so yeah, I think. The jokes are, like, weirdly tangential to the show, I think. Mm. Um, they're fun, though. They're nice. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm, no, I'm 
probably the worst person for this job. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have no experience in journalism. I am not smart enough to grasp the issues, <laughs> but I'm trying my best, you know. <laughs> so in this world of like all this uh, political comedy shows, how yeah. do you stand out from the pack? I mean, I think like in the Supreme episode, uh, Hassan makes a joke about that, which is like, or just talking, like, I think the, the construction for the joke is something like, um, uh, it's like, here's what happens when things get like oversaturated, like the late night comedy market. And then he's like, what's our difference? I'm Brown. And like, (laughs) I think there is like truth to that, that like, there is no Asian representation on, well, cool rhyme. Uh, there's no Asian (laughs) representation on late night or just like, like Asians are like very underrepresented in TV generally. And like, not only is he Indian, but he is like a Muslim as well. And uh, I think it's like that by itself separates the show, but also like the medium in which he's, uh, you know, telling these jokes and like uh, giving out this information. Like the lights and all the screens are like really crazy immersive and um, I think like help keep the show dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like there definitely isn't anything like that on late night, so. Mm-hmm. Sorry, everyone. I just burped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what would you like to be doing next? Um, I want to, uh, or hopefully, you know, I keep my job here for a while. Um, but I do want to do like narrative. Uh, like ultimately, I want to be like writing and directing feature films. Um, so that is like something that I'm like, you know, working on at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just like always have to be writing, which is difficult. Right. But, uh, yeah, it's, like, where I want to be. So, like, eventually back in L.A. Mm-hmm. But this is a really cool thing. <laughs> and then next, Woody Allen. Oh, yeah. Everything with that, too. Yeah, just <laughs> just like Woody Allen is what I always tell everyone. <laughs> I want to be Woody Allen. The whole, all of it. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so we're going to wrap up with you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea I have. Okay. So do you, uh, do you like, a family member... That's like funny, like at Thanksgiving or something. Oh yeah, of course. My yeah, dad. that's like that's like a trope, right? Yeah, totally. Um, Hamming it up, yeah. So this would be like if a family is like talking, like, "Oh, I can't wait for uh, for Dan to come. He's mm-hmm. he's so funny. He's yeah. funny every time." And he comes in, but he's like very dour. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "What's what's wrong?" He's like, "I'm trying not to be funny this year. I want to show you different sides of my personality." <laughs> okay. And so he's just like, uh, "I forget what I read here." Oh, so he's like he's trying to be like a more like political, but like not like. Not like political, but like mm-hmm. he's like talking about like Amazon and Net- in New York. Okay, and so I guess <laughs> that's pretty much what it is. Just like <laughs> he's just like I'm I'm a political uncle now. I'm not funny. Oh, okay. And then I, they're all bummed out about it. They try to like set him up for some jokes. I like I like the idea of like pivoting uncle. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it'd be funny if like uh, or I don't know. Are we, what am I supposed to do right now? Yeah, like, this is just this, this is good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I like the idea of like. I like the idea of, like, an uncle formally pivoting. Yeah, yeah. Like, if he brought, like, like a PowerPoint presentation of, like, oh, where funny. he wants to transition to next. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I want to be, like, racist uncle or uh, <laughs> whatever. But, yeah, no, I, I, I like that idea of um, <laughs> uncle wanting to, to grow and evolve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the making it more formal is good. Yeah, because I feel like that gives you, like, a good uh, space to heighten. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to just him deflecting, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, like set up punchlines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like if yeah, I mean, if he's like taking like questions from the family about like why he wants to pivot, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. like all that kind of stuff seems like you could 
find some comedy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, anything you want to plug? Uh, Patriot Act Sundays. Yeah, Patriot Act Sundays. They come out at midnight, or they come out at midnight uh, Pacific, Pacific Standard Time. Okay. So three a.m. in New York. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's waiting up <laughs> after a long night out. Oh yeah, <laughs> you just cool off with some bags. Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah, man, that's that's about it though. Uh, you know, follow me on Instagram, <laughs> Zach underscore R one C E. And other than that, I got nothing, man. All right, cool. Thanks All for right. the show. Awesome. Thanks for coming or having me. <laughs> <laughs>